Welcome everybody, Mark's my name, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, today we're gonna start a new series that takes a look at some of the problems we experienced during the pandemic. The worst for me was when I heard of how some people would catch the virus, only to be uh, spending sm a small amount of time in the hospital, and then being placed on a respirator and being separated from their family and friends and lastly, died alone. Absolutely heartbreaking for people. We've learned and relearned that community is a lifeline for us as humans. And when we're deprived of community, we die a slow death. The truth is that we were made for community with others and with God. So to that end, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 13, as well as put your finger in Romans chapter 12. We're going to come back and cycle through that great text. While you're turning to that, i got a few simple questions, some pictures, and, and you, I'm going to see them, and you uh, tell me what they're for. The first one, it's a race car. You're right. You know, in that race car, it doesn't have any cruise control or any air conditioning. It's built for speed. Next, next picture. Airplane, yeah, flies and moves people. There's lots of things it can't do, but it can fly. MRI, t MRI machine, what is it made for? Medical procedure. Lego, to build stuff. Now the question, what's the purpose for people? One of them is to be in relationship with God and others. The context of this text is Moses is on the run from Egypt because he's a murderer. And soon after that, he got married and became a shepherd of his father-in-law's flocks. Ends up at Mount Sinai, the place the Ten Commandments was given. And Moses replies to God speaking to him. He said God wanted to, him to lead the people out of Israel. And so, in honor of his word, please stand. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The Lord, the God of our fathers, has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? What shall I tell him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so God said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of the fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, a name which I shall be remembered from generation to generation. Lord, teach us what this means. And teach us the depth that you ask us to be involved in relationships with others. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm indebted uh, to some materials by John Ortberg and uh, Henry Cloud today that I've reworked a number of times as I've been here. This text, I think, is a key to teach us the origin of community with each other. What's the theology behind this? By this, I am, I am asking, what is it that God has either told us to do or is modeling us to become? And first, we know that God has asked us that we understand who he is by his described name. You see, Moses, after some negotiations with God, is going back to Egypt to meet the elders and the leaders of Israel. And he's going to tell them um, what God has said to him. And Moses thought, listen, they're going to ask me what your name is. I don't even know your name. That's where this whole thing comes from. Moses' response was, simply, was simple yet re uh, profound. He, he told Israel that his name is Yahweh. It was Y-H-W-H which the word itself means eternal, self-existent, all-powerful, yet covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. He is strong, and in essence, he is fully self-sufficient, but he also, in essence, is relational. 
and living in eternal community as the Trinity. Now let's tease this out a little bit because we need to understand what God is saying here for the theology that it leads us to. Number one, Yahweh is triune. He forever has been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Trinity, as we have talked about him numerous times, and he has been forever in community. He is one in essence and three in person, okay? Now, we could spend a lot of time explaining this more and more, and I've talked about this before, so I want to leave it difficult in your understanding for a reason. He is three, and yet he is one at the same time. But the theology that we draw from this is, in his essence, Yahweh is an eternal community, Father, Son, and Spirit. Secondly, Yahweh created us to be in his image. Genesis 1, 28, 27, 28, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them, and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over everything that has created, that moves along the ground. Being created in his image means that he created us with the ability of some of the things which actually makes God who he is, like the ability to love, the ability to choose, and many more things. One of those characteristics that we need to understand today is that God is relational. And we have been designed and created by God with purpose of dignity in, and in need of community. God created the sun and the moon and the plants and the animals and light and water. He created it all. And he declared it after every day of creation, he said, it's good. I think it's profound that after God created men and women, that he said, it is very good. Genesis 1 27. Now, thirdly, Yahweh declared aloneness to be wrong. After God declared how everything came into, a be into being, Genesis 2.18, first part of that verse, the text says, it is not good for man to be alone. What's going on here? What, what's he saying? Simply put, God has made us in the image of the triune God to be made for relationships, and therefore, aloneness is absolutely wrong. God said we need each other. You've, been, you've heard me say many times that there is a God-shaped vacuum in each person that only God can fill. Well, the rest of that statement is also true. There is a human-shaped vacuum in each of us that only meaningful and loving human relationships can fill. We need both God and people in our life. It isn't just me and God. The rest of the world can take a flying leap. No, no, no. We were made to live together, not in aloneness. Achievement, Education, money, power, drugs, and many, many more things. Can people use those? But it doesn't substitute for the human beings dealing with the aloneness in their life. We need great relationships. We need each other. This truth is in the Trinity, yes. And it was critical on the mind of one early leader named Basil the Great. Isn't that a great name? Basil the Great. Basil lived in mid-300 AD in the area of eastern Turkey known as Cappadocia or Cappadocia. He used this truth of doctrine in the Trinity to change the monastic work in his day. I got some pictures here I want to show you. Many monks of the day of Basil were completely independent from each other. They, wanted, they didn't want anything to do with each other. They lived beside each other and in, and in various caves. Let me show you some of those. But they never had relationships. See these? 
they, they, they had the limestone that they could dig into, and there was places that they would live, and there were also churches in here. By the way, some guys made their homes big enough for one, and they made the churches big enough for only one person as, as well. They called themselves the only church uh, member of that church. Goofy. Goofy. You can see here. Uh, by the way, uh, if you were Star Wars people, this is uh, where some of the, that uh, was shot on, on the, uh, for that screen. Here's, here's one where there's a couple of churches. Here's, here's the dining room, if you'll notice the dining room. This is very interesting because the table is along the wall for the dining room. They come in, they sit down, they look at a wall. And Basil said no. He took that exact place and he tore out the wall and he put the table down the middle so they needed to come in and sit down and look at each other. They started talking about hockey, and of course, they became friends. And Basel was saying the Trinity is important, Father, Son, and Spirit, to the place where it actually changed architecture. And if it does that, it needs to change us as well. One more example of this that God made us relation, relationally was in the prayer of John 17, where Jesus prayed for our unity, the disciples, of course, but us as well, knowing that he would die soon. The truth was amazing that of all the things he could have talked about, and told his disciples, I'm fascinated that he told them, you, we need to live in community. We need to live in the fellowship of saints. And the community that we live in as the church is going to be attractional for people that will want to know our God because they see us living in community with each other. Amazing. So fourthly, in essence, Jesus prayed that all of his disciples would live in relational community. Now, if we live in community, then we'll become like Yahweh and we'll become fully human as he has made us to be. And we will understand his mission to draw all people into community with himself. That is possible if we love each other. Now, there are some relational killers that we have to address if we're to be the people of God living in the community that God has asked us. One, not the most, the worst or whatever, there's no priority here. One as a, as a relational killer is technology. What a day we live in, huh? Today at our ease, we can know and see what's happening all over the world, almost immediately. And I think that's why it seems to seems that things are getting worse. Really, could it be just be that we're seeing more that we've never seen before? We didn't see some of the things that terrorists did or tornadoes did or wars did around the world, but now we do because of technology. Now the news and tragedies all over the world are seen almost immediately, and it creates fear. We have much instant connection to others all over the world, as some think it's imperative for others to know what they're eating for lunch or how do you think their cat is doing. Technology today wrongly provides us with instant sexual gratification, which readily being available and is often seen as acceptable pastime if you're just bored, no need to find a person or get married, just need a wireless connection. Do you see how, much, how at times technology can destroy our relational activity? All of us have walked into some of the rooms and seen all the people there sipping coffee, looking at their phones. No one's talking. It's like they're ignoring each other. Technology can do amazing things. Give health care, educate people, give important information to someone thousands of miles away. Technology can help us fix cars and install our dishwashers and help us remove our own appendix. But it doesn't seem to help us love each other. It doesn't seem to lead us into deeper relationship with each other. It leads to aloneness. 
Technology can be sinister. You need to use your memories or you think about things. And if you don't need, know it, well, we can just look it up on Google. We don't need to ask people for directions or a map. We'll just ask Siri. Uh, we don't need each other. We don't want to be bothered by each other any other way. So human interact, interactions, there's, uh, the sociolo sociological people are saying is down. We don't need each other and we don't submit ourselves to each other very well either. Eventually, some are saying it will destroy our souls. Simon Sinek is one of the many speakers who speaks how our brains are being rewired because of technology. Truth is, our quest for instant gratification that technology provides can often rob us of learning the social skills and feeling deeply for others. We argue that technology heightens our impatient tendencies because we're not used to waiting for anything or anyone. He argues that we are losing our need and skill to love others and have joy and interact with others, do conflict rightly, and develop dynamic teams to accomplish great goals. He and others are saying that often it leads to boredom and depression and aloneness and friendlessness. Many people have big Facebooks and lots of people, but have very few friends, real friends. Hear me, I'm not saying now, throw away your iPads and your phones and buy a goat. I am saying do not let technology become your God or replace the people in your life. It will destroy our need for each other, which really keeps us fully human. Second relational killer is self-centeredness. We live in an age of selfies. We lie about our so-called friends, about the trips that we take and the meals that we eat. And all of our friends we declare are fabulously alive and perfect and carefree, living action-packed lives. The truth is many of us live all by my selfie. We do life alone, and then we fall into this ditch of self-centeredness. Third relational killer is how we easily get offended. And when we believe that the world owes me an apology, it, it, it needs, this leads some of us to be wounded, and if left unchanged, it will lead us to anger and retaliation and unforgiveness and revenge. This is what Romans 12, 19 to 21 addresses. Civility and respecting other people's opinion has become a lost art. In its place, we personally attack others. If you're different than me, you're wrong. Really? Lost is the ability to negotiate very well. Okay, enough of the diagnostic side on the one side. Let's get to the fix-it side of this message. Thirdly, the biblical community has at least five components, according to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 16. If you have that open, I want to walk through. That's the text that we're looking at. Biblical community is the experience of knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served, celebrating and being celebrated, hearing and being heard. That's a quick look at each of those five uh, aspects. To be in community, we must, number one, know and be known. The sad, sad, the sad truth is that many of us sitting here today do not have a single person who really knows us, sometimes even when we're married. I do believe that most of us would like to be known. Most of us would want a few friends, but do not take the necessary steps to make friendship happen. The scripture says, if you want friends, you must be, be called friendly. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. 
The term sincere means uh, not to pretend, no acting. Now, shall we all go into the mall and start spilling our guts emotionally to people that we don't know? No, not at all. Many are afraid of that, and, and I'm not asking you to do that at all. And the reason is because inside, if others knew what I know about myself, they would run away from me. So we push things down in our soul and we, we hide through barriers so people will feel and look better at me. Many of us choose busyness and shallowness and vulner, over-vulnerability, and we pretend that something or someone is, is not really there. We're, we're not that alone. In Genesis 3, the story of Adam and Eve disobeying God's direct ask of them was profound. I, I think the big ask was simply not to eat of a certain tree. When Adam and Eve realized what they had done, it says in verse 7, their eyes were open for both of them. They realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together for coverings for themselves. They covered up. What does it mean that when a text says they realized they were naked? No husband would miss the fact that this woman in front of him that God created was naked. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is they woke up to the fact that I am broken and twisted and you are broken and twisted and you know that I am broken and twisted. That whole mess we cover up rather than dealing with things. Verses 9 and 10. But the Lord God came to man and asked, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. The fear of God or of others finding us out to be less than we hope to be, drives us to hiding. I think it's time for many of us to take a risk, a small step outside yourself and tell a few trusted friends what is really going on inside with you today. If they run away from you, they never were your friends, so fine. But it's going to take a risk to be known by a few trusted other people. You know, I've had men's groups for years now. Actually, I started back in 1980 doing men's groups. And it has been a place that has drawn the honesty out of me and a place where I can take risks and trust guys that, are, that love me and know me and I know them. To know and be known is the first thing. Secondly, to be in true community, we must love and be loved. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Unless you and I have experienced the irrational love of a few other people, we will miss this aspect of our life and being in community like God has designed us to be. Many of us have never received this kind of love from our parents and therefore haven't passed it on to our spouse or our kids. It's sad, really. When Jesus was asked to boil it all down in the essence of Christianity or Judaism because the person was a Jew that was asking this, he said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's raw relational community that God calls us to. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, just the first part of that verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. When we choose to trust and be vulnerable, we say to each other, we say no to fear. And we say yes to love and receiving and giving love to others. Thirdly, to be in true community, we must serve and be served. Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Zeal, that word zeal means eager, ready to help, not lazy. And you never need to ask a person who is zeal a second time. They're on it. 
I remind you of the story of John 13, where Jesus and the disciples were gathered together to eat the Passover meal. For whatever reason, there should have been a servant there present to wash their feet. That was the culture of the day, washing the feet of the people that come in after a journey because they'd be dirty. And I think the whole thing was set up by Jesus to teach a scenario of the importance of kingdom principles that who we are as the disciples and followers of Jesus will humble ourselves and wash, each, and wash each other's feet. No one stood up and said, I will do the feet of these 11 twits. Nobody. And this was the lesson, that one of the last lessons Jesus wanted to give us, the disciples. Some churches see this as an important ceremony so much that they have um, they wash each other's feet in this ceremony that they have their potluck suppers and they eat together and they wash feet. I, I think we've lost something by not having that in our church. It reveals humility of Jesus. It tests and reminds us that we are here to serve Him and to serve others. It, it changes how we look at each other. Jesus is basically declaring that if we will follow him, then that means we will serve each other. No clamoring for position, no reaching for power in Jesus' kingdom. We're here to serve like Jesus was and to give our lives away. I remember interviewing for a job once many years ago and included in the, the, the job scenario thing of figuring out if we're going to go there or not, the senior pastor and his wife wanted to have lunch with Diane and I. And I watched my possibly next boss be very condescending to the waiter, which drove me to ask the question, do I want to be treated like this? I wanted to learn more about servanthood, and I don't think I had a, an ability to do that with this learner. Sorry, with this leader. Watch how, how you lead. I remember in Christmas a while ago, uh, supper that we had for the homeless people. Remember that? And the Tri-Cities homeless people came to our church. We had a huge problem. We had too many servers. We had to have three groups of servers come because we had too many volunteers that wanted to serve. I was so proud of you guys, I'll tell you. You, you have caught this whole aspect of serving in your missions giving that we have, in your giving to home missions right here to people around you, ham, in, uh, in, in, in the food that we hand out and everything else. You are proving yourself to be great servants. Now to balance everything off, and to show us that we need to be humble and keeping developing as servants. If you think our church is doing really well, uh, real close to that same time, there was a car that came into our parking lot and was angry at the parking lot attendant and didn't want to go where the parking lot attendant wanted him to go. And so he was so upset that he gave the parking lot attendant a one-finger hand gesture, and he wasn't saying, you're number one. Um, if once we think we've got humility all nailed down, bang. We prove that we want to be served as people. Fourthly, true community, we must be celebrated and celebrate. Romans 12, 13 and 15 and 16 state, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. In other words, help those around you. Share good food with each other. I remember the days as a boy where the automatic thing that happened at the end of almost every Sunday service was that my parents would look around and find someone who was alone or who was hurting. And like it or not, they were going to come for lunch. This type of, of uh, hospitality has gone by the wayside for many of us. It needs, we need to bring this back. It was one of the keys that opened up many opportunities to share the gospel with people in that little town I came from because our church was known as the place to share and have hospitality. 
Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. This really means celebrate each other, whether you're doing good or not so good. It means to enter into the sadness of others, not to wallow in it with them, but to bring them out of that into kingdom living. Verse 16, Romans 12, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. In other words, stand against all racism and all that puts others down. Appreciate each, appreciate each other. And we, we know about appreciation. If you own a house here, we say our houses have appreciated. What's that mean? It means they're worth more. Likewise, we need to make sure the people around us are worth more. They're encouraged and appreciated. And in their walk with Jesus, they'll have dignity as a person made in the image of God. Their worth is truly daily a relational blossom that we, we help to develop. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, encourage one another, encourage, pour courage into one another, in other words, so that people can make the right decision, not out of fear, but out of love and out of being courageous. So some, some ideas, maybe some things that you can put into your life. Write notes to people, just out of the blue, hand them a note. Celebrate others. Celebrate their accomplishments of their kids or their grandkids. Celebrate their life. Say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. Some say, oh, I can't do that. It might be emotional. That's the point. Our staff does this often in our, our staff meetings. We appreciate blank because... And it's wholesome to do that. Celebrate each other, not just, not just be around each other. To be in true community, we must, number five, hear and be heard. One of the greatest gifts that we can give each other is to simply listen. Not always trying to fix the other person or direct the other person. Make sure they're doing things right, but make sure that they're heard. A while ago, I thought, you know what? I don't think I do a real good job at that. I'm going to start looking for people that I can talk a little bit to and listen. And so I started with the gas guy that morning. You know, do you ever talk to your gas guy that he puts f fuel in your tank? And you kind of just hand him your card. And oh, I got out and I went and sat in, or talked to him and stood in the cold weather. And I said, so how are you today? Talk to him. Where are you from? Oh, man, it's, tell me about your family. We're talking away, and he'd go away and fix somebody's uh, uh, nozzle on the gas, and he'd come talk to me a little bit more. And I did the same thing with a homeless guy. The homeless guy said to me, thanks for listening. Nobody listens to me anymore. Wow. I love the picture that God gives us in Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God listens to us and delights in us and he hears our voice. Talk to him and listen to him. Now I can go on and on, but I gotta wrap this thing up. You were designed and created by God in his image. You are made for relationships with God and with others. You need to stop all things that destroy your relationship and get on with God's program for us. For some of us, it means we need to get into a small group and develop relationships and 
develop relationships with trusted people. And when you can trust more and more, that's when you start opening up more and more. We, have, we are in need of small group leaders as well. And some of you are qualified to be small group leaders. You need to call Pastor John Fortune as quick as you can and get with God's program of leading people relationally. I love you. I think you're a great church. I think if we follow God's uh, direction on this, we will become the people of God that will reach people all over the world because love wins. Love always wins. Lord, thanks for today. Thanks for our church, which is your church. Thank you for being the shepherd over this church. We pray you would continue to pour truth into our lives, that we would continue to serve, to listen and love, to appreciate the people around us that you have put here. Protect us from the wiles of the evil one that will pull us apart as brothers and sisters. And Holy Spirit, may you help us walk in the togetherness as the triune God does. We commit our lives to you again in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Lord bless you, folks.